talk about the Gospels reporting Jesus' final business with his disciples. First, consider the Gospel of Matthew and the events of chapter 28. As instructed, the disciples meet Jesus on the mountain in Galilee. Please note the strange contradiction. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. After all of this, some doubted. How can that be? From where we stand this side of the resurrection, we are unable to fathom why the disciples had such a difficult time accepting that he, Jesus, had indeed risen from the dead. Please consider the difficulty of a non-believer would have. Perhaps there was something mysterious about his glorified body that was bewildering. Doubt is usually accompanied by an element of truth. Perhaps some of the difficulty in accepting reality was that they were looking in the wrong direction. Their expectations of Jesus were misplaced. This brings me to a question. What are our expectations of Jesus? To me, it is significant that the disciples closest to the Lord recognized him first. It seems to me that is a truism for believers of the day. Then Matthew closes in grand style with a great commission of making disciples. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 8, the women are left trembling at the tomb without saying anything to anyone. But in verse 9, a meeting with Mary Magdalene occurs. Then there is an appearance with the two walking, which were probably the Emmaus duo and Luke. And finally, with the 11 disciples, they were, di- <coughs> they were eating, when they were eating. He rebukes them for the lack of faith and disbelief of eyewitness reports of his resurrection. Even for the apostles, it was difficult to be convinced of the resurrection. This apparently reflects that they had given up all for lost when he died that they did not expect his resurrection, and all in the face of the strongest proof that he truly rose. Had they expected it, they would have jumped on the slightest evidence. Rhetorical questions. What do you find, why do you find it easy to accept the resurrection? Jesus charges them with an enhanced version of the Great Commission, but adds the effect and signs accompanying their proclamation. In Luke's gospel, the final events begin in Luke 24, 36, which find Jesus trying to convince the apostles that he is the risen Jesus. The conclusion becomes positive in the opening of minds of the scripture and then proceeds directly to the ascension. To me, that was a spiritual feel-good conclusion. John's gospel provides a more extensive narrative than the other gospels. The last chapter, chapter 21, The Gospel of John does seem to be an addendum for John to clear up some loose ends that needed to be expressed. Also keep in mind John's notice of incompleteness in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. First, there in, here in John 21, we find Jesus appearing by the Sea of Tiberias. Only John uses that name for the Sea of Galilee. Only seven of the 11 apostles come to the lake, reverting to their pre-ministry activity of fishing. 
Where were the others? One can only speculate why, after being given the Great Commission, they weren't out taking the gospel to the world. Note that the number of apostles present is only seven. Is that just an accurate head count? I suggested something more. Seven in the Bibles is the perfect number, the sign of completeness. And here, perhaps, will suggest the group is the basis of the infant church. They fish all night and catch nothing. They do not recognize Jesus at the beach, but when he calls and directs them to reposition their nets, John recognizes him. Peter jumps overboard and goes to meet him. He calls him to a meal, and the comment bears repeating, those who are closest to the Lord will recognize him or his voice first. As soon as breakfast is over, the conversation with Peter in front of the other disciples commences. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He answered and said, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And again, the Lord asked the same question. Peter's response was the same. The third time he asked it, and when he asserted his love, Jesus commended him to care for the flock. When Christ asked the first two times, he uses agape as the word for love. Peter answers each time with phileo, brotherly love. However, the third time, Jesus also uses the word phileo, brotherly love, so as to say, Peter, it is enough. You are my brother. In each exchange, the Lord was charging him with the office of a shepherd to guide him to watch and defend the flock. Peter must have been afraid to suffer what Christ has suffered, but now he is overcoming that fear, for he saw Jesus alive in the flesh after he had been cruelly tortured and crucified. By his resurrection, Christ took away the fear of death. Fear had caused three denials, and love was three times confessed. Jesus continues to activate his life in theirs. Follow me is repeated twice, John 21, 19 through 22. This is the final command of Jesus as recorded in the scriptures. Jesus doesn't command them to do great things in his name, just the simple command, follow me. Jesus needs one more teaching moment with Peter. As Jesus and Peter are walking, Peter observes John is close behind in John 21, 20 through 23, and asks, in essence, what is going to happen to him? Jesus is pretty sharp with his reply, that is none of your business. You follow me. We should never be distracted by what someone else is doing or not doing. Be concerned only about paddling your own canoe. To follow Jesus requires all of our attention constantly. Have a very good day.